the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast, and I am your host, Nick DeGilio. Welcome to episode 144. That's right, 144 episodes of these babies under the belt. I don't know what that means. But hey, we're here. We are part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thanks for checking us out. Hey, please take the time to rate and review us on every single platform. We want to hear the conversations. We want your feedback. Uh, hey, you want to be a sponsor of this podcast? You should do that now uh, because we have a lot of people who listen. So if you got an advertise, you want to advertise with us, you got a product, you want to be a sponsor, do it now. Let's get together. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Uh, and if you want to be a part of the podcast uh, just in general, we have a voicemail message that we would love to hear. Well, we have a voicemail system that you could leave a voicemail message on. 24-7, anytime you have the urge to call us up and leave a message. A suggestion, a question, a comment, a contribution, uh, a request for the magic megaphone. You know, I speak into it or I play something to it and it becomes magic and it's personal to you. If you want to leave a magic uh, megaphone message, if you would like to leave a voicemail message, it's 773-417-6948. Drop us an email anytime you want. The Nick D podcast here. And it also reaches my other podcast, which is about Saturday Night Live. That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. Email me anytime you want, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. So call us, voicemail 247-773-417-6948. Email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. And on this episode of the Nick D Podcast, our good friends, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, uh, Chicago film critics here in the uh, land of Chicago. We're going to review a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of new movies. Uh, it's a big weekend. You know, it kind of kicks off. Traditionally, Memorial Day weekend, which is what is happening now, in case you're listening to it later or a year and a half from now or five years from now or whatever, it happens to be Memorial Weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And that is usually the time when the big summer season kicks off. Although it's been weird over the past three and a half, four years, when are movies getting released and we're still trying to recover from COVID in the movie theaters, they're still trying to get their act together and so on and so forth in Hollywood. It's all screwy. And now there's a writer's strike and everything's lit. Everything is kind of kablooey. But traditionally, Memorial Day weekend is the weekend when summer kicks off. So we got some big movies to talk about and review with Steve and Eric. And my old buddy Esmeralda Leon is going to join us. We do have a magic megaphone message. You request them. I do them. I'm a monkey. The megaphone is magic and it's personal to you. So get your uh, requests in. We got one of those coming up, and uh, we're going to be talking about TV and movie characters that don't act like regular humans do, (laughs) which is not a real surprise. So we'll talk a little bit more about that and more. That's all coming up right here on the podcast. Uh, I mentioned my Saturday Night Live podcast. You should check it out. If you love Saturday Night Live and you're not subscribing to the podcast, there's something wrong with you. If you don't love Saturday Night Live and you're not subscribing to the podcast, there's something wrong with you. So you should subscribe immediately. That's 
That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast, which is a great podcast that I'm very proud of. Uh, it is uh, once a week. New episodes drop on Wednesday at RadioMisfits.com. Uh, uh, and by the way, an exciting thing is happening at Radio Misfits right now, and I'm very, very thrilled that it's happening. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. There is a live 24-7 streaming service. It's like a radio station that you can listen to 24-7. You could turn on Radio Misfits 24-7 like a radio station, and you should do that. Lots of incredible music by unheard bands being played, lots of incredible programming, and you can hear episodes of all the great podcasts that are available at the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the best podcast network on the planet. You want to get a taste of some of the best, most informative, most entertaining, and the coolest podcasts ever? Well, they're streaming live right now as we speak, streaming live. Radiomisfits.live. You, 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 you mark that down, you bookmark it, you program it, you put it on in your radio and you're on your device and in the car and all that stuff, 24-7 live, listen to it all the time. And if you want to hear specifically my podcasts, you can go to radiomisfits.live and you can hear my Saturday Night Live podcast, that show hasn't been funny in years, every day at 9 a.m. Central, those are Central times, every day at 9 a.m. it's the SNL podcast, and then you can hear this podcast, the Nick D podcast, which you know and love. Every day at 3 p.m. So daily, the SNL podcast, that show hasn't been funny in years, 9 a.m. This podcast, the Nick D podcast, daily, 3 p.m., all part of the 24-7 streaming service that is awesome, that is loaded with great music that you've never heard anywhere else and some really cool programming and some unbelievable podcasts. 24-7, radiomisfits.live. Get there now. And again, that's another reason you need to advertise with this podcast immediately because uh, the 24-7 streaming service is going and your product will be sold very well. So you should be a part of this podcast now. Say, hey, I want to advertise on the Nick D podcast. So anyway, check it out. Live streaming 24-7 Radio Misfits dot live. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the themes and the sounds. And Ed, my main man uh, who's in charge of Radio Misfits, he's the guy responsible for doing all the great stuff on the streaming service, Radio Misfits dot live and all the great stuff at Radio Misfits podcast network so very very proud to be associated with this group and i have been now for she's year and a half ish fantastic well i have been for 144 episodes so it's going to be a great podcast having a great time my friends eric and steve you love the movie stuff and you know who else is here she's here all the Hi, time i'm carrie russell and i love nick's show i know you do baby carrie russell rules i love her she loves me don't you hi i'm carrie russell and i love nick's show oh, she might not love me but she loves the show all right anyway <laughs> it's going to be a great podcast, uh, and uh, so uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, subscribing. Thanks for listening. Please spread the word. Tell everybody to subscribe and all that cool stuff and to listen to our streaming service. It's all it's great stuff is happening at Radio Misfits, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Let's get the Nick D podcast going. And it's just I, I need to explain to you that you should be congratulated on your good taste. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggle.
And it is time for the movie reviews, uh, as uh, we hear every other week on uh, the Nick T Podcast. Uh, Steve Procopi and uh, Eric Childress are my two friends, uh, professional film critics, members of the Chicago Film Critics Association. I've known them for a long time. And the three of us review movies every couple of weeks. It's been uh, a little while since the <laughs> since we last spoke it's with uh, with Eric yeah. and Steve. At least on this podcast, I've seen them since. But um, and the reason for that was the the last time we were scheduled to record uh, and be on the podcast together was uh, like smack dab in the middle of the Chicago Critics. F- no, it was actually closing night. I think of the Chicago right. Critics Film Festival <laughs> uh, that we were recording. So. Uh, but we wanted to say uh, hello to these guys and get back into the groove of things uh, for Memorial uh, Day weekend, which is always usually kind of the big kickoff of summer, uh, summer movies. So let's say hello first to Eric Childress. Hello, Eric. Hello. All right. And uh, for Steve Procopi, hello, Steve. Hello there. All right. We have trains going by in the back. What's? Uh... Uh, no, that's uh, the, the, the yard work. Oh, there's Local. yard. Oh, yes. <laughs> yard work. Yes. One of us lives in the suburbs. We can figure out which one that is. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. That's some yard work. It's a quite they, a big, uh, it's a, it's a are, big blower right now. All right. Are they, uh, it sounds like they're sawing down every tree in your yard. Yeah, my God. <laughs> Good Lord. And the, all win- right. the windows are closed too. The windows are closed. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see what's, uh, what's happening. We'll yeah. see how, how uh, dis- distracting that is. Eric, tell everybody where they can <laughs> see your stuff and hear your stuff before your house gets knocked down. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. Uh, you can find me in Oz. No, um, it's actually uh, at the Now Play Network. Uh, I have two podcasts, uh, the Movie Madness podcast that uh, is available twice a week uh, on the weekends with Steve Procopi. We review movies uh, every week and then once with uh, Peter Subzinski and we talk about what's available on physical media and Blu-rays. Uh, and the other podcast, The Friendship Dilemma, that I co-host with Morgan Geyer, where we look at movies that deal with male and female friendships. We're hoping to have some new episodes up within the next couple couple of weeks. Okay. All right, Steve, what about you? Uh, you can read my written reviews at thirdcoastreview.com. Like Eric said, we do a movie review uh, segment on his Movie Madness podcast every week. And I am uh, frequently at the Music Box, as I will be this weekend, actually. Um yeah, man. Both both working and just yeah. fucking around. So well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Paris, Texas, this weekend, man. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That, that alone is, you know, Jesus Christ on the big it's screen. The, it's the begin. It's the first film of a new series called Stranger in a Strange Land, which is yeah. just about like people out of their element, basically. And 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 there's some incredible titles in this there run. Are, so there are, and it's yeah. it, it it starts with uh, Paris, Texas, which is one of the greatest yeah. movies ever made, and it ends with Babe Pig in the City. So I mean, my mm-hmm. God, right there, you got <laughs> yeah. you got two of the greatest bookends of all time, right there. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, I'm so excited to see Paris, Texas on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it on the big screen in years, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and uh, But speaking of the music box, one of the reasons, well, the reason why um, we had to interrupt our regularly scheduled every other week visit is because of the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Uh, let me just say to you both, congratulations um, on Thank the you. fest. Thanks. Um, I was there every day. Um, I saw 19 films. In, uh, in seven days <laughs> uh, and two festivals, uh, two uh, collections of shorts. I went to both of the shorts uh, festivals, which uh, were incredibly strong this year. God, Colin did a great job. He just did a great yeah. job picking those, uh, you know, picking the shorts, not only picking quality shorts, but 
putting them together in a way that had like an arc and themes. It was like listening to a great record. You know what I mean? Like listening to a great album. Uh, and there was some amazing shit that he had in there. And I really loved a lot of the movies that you guys uh, showed. I don't know what the, what the <laughs> the pattern is with your opening and closing night movies with me. I don't know what it is. Uh, but like last year, I hated your opening night and your closing night movies. This year, I hated your opening night movie. Didn't hate the closing night, but I didn't like it. Um, we need to and, send you a list of all our opening and closings <laughs> to see if that pattern has maintained if, yeah, over the years. Yeah, no, I, I don't, don't think, think it, it has. No, no, because I think there have been uh, opening night movies in the past that you that I know yeah. that you showed that I've liked. But for the last two years, I mean, I mean, like I hated both opening night movies. Um, <laughs> and this, la- I mean, I didn't hate Theater Camp. I thought he- Theater Camp yeah. was okay. It, it was okay. I just didn't think it was nearly as funny as most people did or i guess you, you did eric yeah <laughs> that's right that's me that was completely me yeah um and and most of the audience agreed with me i just want to put that on record the audience really ate that movie up yeah um and and nick you seem to you're one of the only people that doesn't like blackberry oh god you're very much in the minority on that oh man. like deep in the minority yeah i know i am and i don't understand it i don't <laughs> much much it. like yeah. much like colin we definitely um shape the way that we schedule the film so that you end end or sorry begin week and end week so right yeah is that uh, that's our motto. so yes we we, we really want to like just take the wind out yeah. of you right off the bat nope. and then make sure you leave disappointed Look, i'm right? i know i know i'm in the more i'm i'm baffled i'm baffled by people liking blackberry absolutely oh. baffled by it it is they're God. baffled by you i yeah i don't get it man it's it's if the show, social network were made by usa uh, the USA Network in between an episode of Suits and White and you know and White Collar. That's what it is. That's what it is. And you know and bad T-shirts, bad wigs, and uh, hair. Uh, you know, instead of three-dimensional characters, we have wigs acting. I fucking hated it. I hated it. But anyway, all right. Uh, so, well, but anyway, congratulations. It was very. It was great. And and I, I do want to mention a, a couple of the movies that I thought were exceptional. My favorite movie of the festival doesn't have a distributor. It was the same thing that happened last right. year because last mm. year to Leslie at that point did not have a distributor. Right. But my favorite movie of the festival was, uh, uh, starring, uh, uh, starring Jerry as himself. I don't think I realized that was your favorite. I love oh that God. movie. Oh yeah, yeah. my God. Was that movie amazing? I, uh, yeah. you know, I think revolutionary in terms of documentary filmmaking, mm-hmm. um, and funny. And then God damn it. When the rug gets pulled out, in that, in oh my god! I mean, yeah, I it just and I went. It was one of those movies that I kind of went in because that was closing night, and I went in. I'm like, right. okay, you know this. You know, I, I, I was just very excited about theater camp. I was like, oh, I can't wait to see it, and I was like, okay, this movie will be fine. This little movie, and and I was blown away by it. And man, and I don't want to describe. I don't want to give too much away because I hope it gets right. a distributor because there's because the the key to it is really not knowing much about it except that it kind of messes with the notion of documentary filmmaking, especially the notion of reenactments, like that kind of thing that you see. And it's, and it's an important movie too. And on top of that, you know, not just in terms of revolutionary in terms of documentary filmmaking, but, and also very entertaining and weirdly funny and strange and unlike anything you've ever seen. But then by the end, it's, it is a must see. It is an important movie. Uh, man, I just, yeah, no, that. And then my second favorite was birth rebirth. Those were my two. Those were mm-hmm. the ones that I liked the most. But, um, you know, pretty strong year. I really, really loved Blue Jean. 
when does that open? Because um, that's soon. for me soon. Yeah, for me that's um, that's the best performance uh, by an actress I've seen this year. Is uh, it opens June 9th. I don't know if that opens here June 9th, yeah. but uh, it, it, some, it opens sometime somewhere. sometime in mid June at the Cisco. I think they have it exclusively. Okay. Actually, okay. All right. Well, get down to the Cisco when it opens in June because the yeah. Um, now I I have to, I'd have to look up the actress's name. I feel like a jag off because I don't know her name by hand. Um. British actress who is unfucking believable in this movie in Blue Jeans. Mm-hmm. She's unbelievable. It's my favorite performance of the year. So those were the, my three favorites. But I'll, anyway. I'll say this about J- real quick about Jerry is that I know some people that are looking, they were or are looking to maybe buy it, and they all seem to have the same issue, which is, and you probably will understand it as like, how the hell do we market this? Exactly. No, exactly. So, yeah. yeah like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it, <laughs> I, and I do not envy the person that has to market it. I understand yeah. that. And I understand that being a big hurdle, but God damn it. It's a great movie. I mean, yeah. it is a great movie. Uh, yeah. My favorite of the fest, but anyway, congratulations. It was great. It was great hanging out Thanks. with you guys and, and, you know, and hanging out with everybody at the music box and seeing all the movies. It was cool. It was really, really good. Great. Congratulations. 10 years, man. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So you guys, round of applause to you guys for doing a great job on that. <laughs> so, well, Thank now you. we're back in our regular thing here. We got some movies to uh, review here. Steve, why don't you handle uh, Kandahar? Because uh, for some reason, Eric and I had some difficulty watching this. For those people who uh, are listening, uh, critics, sometimes they don't have screenings, but we can watch the movie via a screener link that they send us that we can watch like on our TV or we can watch on a laptop or whatever. Um, and, uh, it's the, Eric and I both had issues with the link, uh, hmm. to watch the movie. Like we couldn't, like I was, it was buffering, it crashed and Eric, same thing happened to you. Yep. So we were not able to see Kandahar because they did not screen it for us. They only provided us the screener links. It didn't work for me and Eric, but it did work for you, Steve. So yeah. tell us, tell us about <laughs> Kandahar. Uh, yeah, this is the third film, um, from the director actor combo of Rick Roman Waugh and Gerard Butler, who did, uh, Angel Has Fallen and Greenland together. Uh, it's sort of a messy, chaotic work about the messy, chaotic way that modern war tends to be carried out and end, uh, with no clear winner and confusion about what happens next in these war-torn nations and who's going to rise to power in the aftermath. Uh, in Kandahar, Butler plays uh, undercover CIA operative Tom Harris, who is unexpectedly, or sorry, is, who is exceptionally good at his job, but is by no means like a superhero incapable of mistakes and miscalculations that might result in others getting hurt or killed. So after carrying out a, a very successful mission in Afghanistan, uh, Harris thinks he's kind of done with the war and possibly even the CIA, but he's called upon to do one last mission before he flies home to finally be with his family. Uh, although he's reluctant, he agrees, and he hires a local translator played by Navid uh, Negaban, uh, who who lives uh, abroad now but has returned and is searching for a missing family member in Afghanistan. Um, their cover is blown very early on, and their mission is exposed, and they only have about 30 hours to make it to Kandahar to get extracted. Um, meanwhile, like there are endless streams of of killers and and other military types from the Taliban to ISIS to the governments of a couple different uh, Middle Eastern countries who all want to capture Harris alive so they can sell him for the highest price to someone who will make an example of him, a very public example of him uh, by killing him, you know, probably on camera. Anyway, the the way that, that the, the filmmaker and the screenwriter 
uh, Mitchell LaFortune um, kind of lay out the battlefield that Harrison and this translator have to navigate to get out of this country is meant to feel very cluttered and, and muddy with with the exception of, I mean, there's just like a, a lot of characters and it's kind of sometimes difficult to figure out who's on what, like who's on whose side. And that's kind of the point. There's one guy, uh, an assassin, a Pakistani assassin named Kahil, uh, played by Ali Fazal, who is just cool as hell, flies across the desert after these two guys on a motorcycle. He's a very, very much a standout character that I've noticed a lot of people are kind of calling out because he's he's just freaking great in this movie. So anyway, it's not this film is not primarily an action film, although there are certainly a handful of nicely executed set pieces. Instead, the goal seems to be to give the audience a better understanding of the nature and unwinnability of modern warfare. It's it's a battle between warlords and Western forces both of whom just basically never want to stop fighting. Um, there's sort of a big climactic thing where all of these forces are kind of bearing down on these two guys, and it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to escape. Um, but what's interesting is, that, again, like Waugh and Butler have built these like three-dimensional characters with backstories and reasons we might actually want to see them survive this ordeal. Um, the the guy, uh, Nagaha, Nahag, I'm sorry, Nagahaban is particularly good as the man who has lost his son to this conflict and is hoping he can save his sister uh, before she disappears as well. Um, but he, he's a man of peace. So like in one scene, he has to actually come face to face with someone who is sort of indirectly responsible for his son's death. And he has to struggle to like curb his bloodlust. Um, it's, it's, very much by design, they have crafted what I think is supposed to be an anti-war film um, that sort of allows these ideas about the futility of uh, of war to rise to the surface. And I think it actually, it's not, I still like Greenland way better, but but they're, they're, but they're widely different films, so to, to compare them doesn't really necessarily seem fair. Uh, but still, I was very much pulled into this dense, complicated story because of its layers, not despite of them. So, okay. yeah, and that's playing... Playing everywhere, basically. Yeah, no, it opens. Except it opens, on your computers, apparently. It opens. It opens yeah. today. It opens today. I'll catch. I'll ca- I'm going to catch up with it. It's just that it's hard. It's a hard sell when I see Gerard Butler and I and um, um. So you're. It's better than plain, is what you're saying. Yes, it definitely is <laughs> okay. better than plain. Okay, good. All right, all right, uh, all right. So Kandahar, that's out now, and you want to check that out. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, an actual good movie with Gerard Butler, who's been in. A, he's been in some, but it's just like when I see his name, I immediately go, "Oh shit." You know what I mean? Which is, I think, an okay yeah. response. That's a- <laughs> how has he not been in the Fast and Furious series at this point? That's a great question, man. <laughs> that is seriously a great question because uh, every dickhead in the world has been in that is has been in it. Uh, so anyway, right? All right, Kandahar is out, but the big uh, the big release uh, that unfortunately Steve did not get to see um, is uh, this continuing uh, trend that uh, Disney has now where they are taking their sort of classic animated movies and they are making live-action versions of them. Uh, and the latest one is The Little Mermaid. Um, and uh, Eric and I sat next to each other uh, we did. During, during this screening. Now, I am not as emotionally connected to the original as a lot of people are. Um, Eric, you are 10 years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. So you were how old when the movie came out? You were a teenager, right? When the movie came out, I was yeah. I just uh, no, I was just graduated grade school. Okay, so you <laughs> no, I was still in I was still in grade school. I'm sorry, you were at twelve then. Okay, yeah, Something 13, like 12, 13, 13, yeah, thirteen, twelve, thirteen, yeah. All right, yeah. So I was I was in my twenties and I was like I don't give a shit. 
So uh, I have no emotional connection to it, except for the fact that I remember liking it. And um, and I remember what a, what it was like a after because Oliver and Company kind of cracked the door open. Right. And then Little Mermaid kicked the door down as far as yeah. like the, you know, the renaissance, the rebirth mm-hmm. of 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 uh, animated films at Disney, because it was a long period of time when they weren't making them. And when they were, they were shitty. Um, but yeah, Oliver and Company, I remember uh, that was the one like, wow, that's really cool. It's the first time a Disney animated movie has been really good. And then the next year, Little Mermaid came out and it was huge. Uh, it's a legendary movie and a, a classic that really is beloved by so many people. Um, and Eric, your personal story about it, you watched it a lot when you were a kid, right? Or, or at least you saw it. About well, it. I didn't want, no, I didn't really watch it a lot when I was a kid, but I worked in a lot of video stores oh, over right, the years. Right, right. And there was at least one video store you could only play family films on the, hmm. the screens throughout the store. Sure, so Disney sure. films were played a lot. And in the other, the first video store I worked in, I, we had someone who worked there who was obsessed with Disney. So Little Mermaid was just on a lot. Right, and and obviously yeah. our, our old friend Colin Suter, who was sitting next to you, we were all sitting in mm-hmm. a row. Uh, you guys both had the same experience because you both worked in video stores. You're both around the yeah. same age, and The Little Mermaid was a seminal movie in the world of animation at Disney. Yeah, uh, and musical too. Like it was one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a musical as well, and the songs are great from the from the original movie. Um, yeah. So they decided to do a live action remake, and so far these live action remakes have not been good. Um, a couple of them. I mean. Uh, Pete's Dragon is great. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I like The Jungle Book. I thought The Jungle Book was good. Sure. Um, yeah. But that's it. The rest of them, like Lion King. I didn't like Beauty and the Beast. I'm, uh, what else has there been? Whatever. Aladdin. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah, sorry. God, Mulan. Dumbo. Mulan. <laughs> Dumbo. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, anyway, here's The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Eric, take it away. Oh, boy. Uh, what an intro. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is the li- live-action remake uh, now directed by Rob Marshall. Uh, and uh, if you, anyone who's familiar with The Little Mermaid story are basically going to get uh, exactly what you pay for as, as far as the familiarity is concerned. Uh, in this version, uh, Halle Bailey plays Ariel, uh, who is uh, the daughter of King Triton. Lives under the sea in uh, Atlantica, and uh, she longs, you know, she longs to see what is outside of her home life, basically. Uh, and at one point, she uh, comes to the surface, and there's a big shipwreck involving a prince named Eric, played by Jonah Howard, Howard King. Uh, and she rescues him and brings him to shore, and she sings to him, kind of brings him, you know revives him a little bit and he becomes obsessed with this beautiful voice that he heard while she goes back uh in into the ocean uh so she becomes kind of equally obsessed with wanting to uh fulfill this potential love in her life uh much against the wishes of her father who is very prejudiced towards uh humans and at least in this version the sort of the the way that they've treated the ocean <laughs> it's not quite uh climate change and littering and what long time ago supposedly uh but that's you know he's he hates the humans so how dare you go go out with them uh but uh melissa mccarthy plays ursula the sea witch who in this version is her aunt uh which is not true in the original version i don't know why they had had that in this whole thing but uh she offers her the opportunity to uh, lose her mermaid tail and become human uh, and go on shore. And she has 72 hours or three days to uh, secure a kiss f- 
from the prince, uh, and she will, you know, and remain human forever. The the twist is that she has to give up her voice to do this, so she can't sing, she can't talk, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and Ursula is going to do whatever she can to uh, use this opportunity to steal the trident from her father and her brother now, actually, uh, and uh, take over control of the the, the the sea and the ocean. Blah blah blah. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, everyone knows the plot to The Little Mermaid. Uh, and as far as, like, these other live-action remakes that we've had, uh, that we, one of the only pleasures in most of them is at least hearing the songs again. Uh, because, like you said, Nick, there, I mean, a lot of these songs are are really wonderful. And even The Little yeah. Mermaid is not quite my favorite of those those first early uh, incarn- incarnations from, like, 89 to 94. It's still really damn good. And the songs, while there weren't a lot of them, probably why they were so memorable because they, they stuck stuck in your head so much and here this movie pretty much comes off like an atrocity uh as far as i'm concerned and when you when you get to the point where you're ruining the memories of those very songs which i think is what happened in the lion king uh live live action or cgi version that favreau did uh you're really sucking the last bits last remnants of pleasure uh, that anyone could possibly have watching a bloated remake. The original movie runs 83 minutes. This run runs 135. I, I remember they, at one point, Eric, you leaned over to me and you went, at this point, the original movie is over. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, and I think at that point, they hadn't even gotten to Under the Sea. No, no, uh, or, they had Or Kiss the Girl. Or kiss, the kiss the Girl. girl. They, they, didn't, they didn't get right. to Kiss the Girl yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We're 83 minutes in the movie and we have not even gotten to Kiss the Girl. Now, going back to Under the Sea... When you watch the Under the Sea bit, which is a great song, and it's a wonderful moment in the original movie, here it's now become this Boz Lorman over-edited, over-CGI'd thing that is just impossible to sort of wrap your head around. Uh, the the fact that the, 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 the animation in the original movie is one of the pleasures of what makes that movie sing, so to speak, is because... Your 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 mind is more freer. It's more you're, there's, it's more uh, susceptible to imagination, and it's just wonder. And here you're just kind of watching these CGI things happen on screen, and you're not really getting any of the magic out of it. Uh, everything yeah. underneath the water looks like a deep fake on the internet. Yeah. Uh, it's so distracting. Um, Melissa McCarthy, I think, is the only one uh, that is up to the challenge of creating, uh, uh, recreating one of these characters. I think Halle Bailey uh, overplays when she is singing and underplays when she's not. Um, and I don't know where they found this Jonah Howard King to play Eric. Uh, Eric with a C, by the way, that's very important. Uh, that, <laughs> I mean, I would call this guy a drip, except... He doesn't make any ripple in the ocean of this movie. He he's is a, just an he's, absolute blank slate. He's a Broadway. He's a Broadway. He's a Broadway actor. He's a singer. And he's, he's not. He's and not he's terrible actor. in this movie. He's, he's terrible. He's awful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as is Javier Bardem, who just looks <laughs> yeah. confused and doesn't know. He looks like a guy on a talk show, or like doesn't know which camera to look at when they're doing the special effects. Like everything about him he, is bad. No, he he clearly is like, what the fuck am I doing? And then I I saw yes. an interview where it's like. Look, my kids wanted me to do it. It was one of those deals. It was yeah. like I did, I did. Right. You know, I, I just thought it was hilarious because he plays such a such a major part in Dune, and now he's like underwater. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. it's just it's just really weird. Um, it water sign, Earth sign, whatever. It's ridiculous. But I'll, I'll tell you something yeah. really quickly. The, Javier Bardem. That the final scene with him is fucking hilarious. Oh, the it's final creepy as shit. Oh, yeah, but it's so funny. It's like anyway, it's not meant to be. Where's but go my ahead. Daughter going. Oh yeah, no, my. it's okay. 
Where's oh. my daughter going? Oh, it's daughter. Um, hilarious. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, the joy of this movie is sucked away because it is so overbloated. There are three new songs. I think there are only like four five songs tops in the, in the first movie and yeah. they added three songs in this and and each one of them is worse than the next uh culminating with this like aquafina song for the because she plays the the bird scuttle uh her i mean by the time you get to that song you're like an hour and 40 minutes in and just like where's the the, the song where they're trying to kill sebastian yeah. which is cut from this movie yeah. um and, you know everything that they've they've they've, they've done to this thing is just I, I, I keep going back to the word atrocity. I, I think that this is the worst of all of the live action movies they've done yeah. to date. Um, and that's saying something because I really dislike Lion King. Uh, but this yeah. is horrible. Well, I think it's I think Lion King is worse. Um, okay. But this is but this is really bad. I'm not that's not a compliment. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> this is a really bad movie. But it's, I think the Lion King is much worse. Um, I did like uh, Holly Bailey. I did. I thought she was terrific, and I and I th- I think she's got a beautiful voice, and I think she plays the role really well, and I really like her in it. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, I think, um, is doing the best she can, uh, but I don't like where the character goes. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Aquafina, uh, but, uh, you know, and I liked her voice work in this. The song is terrible. And I do want to mention that uh, the, the guy who wrote the new songs, and they all suck, is lin uh Miranda. Um, he, wrote, he wrote the songs. He wrote that rap song uh, for mm-hmm. Aquafina. And the new songs are fucking horrible. They're terrible. Um, and I had forgotten, like, you know, I, I had, had to be reminded because I hadn't seen the movie since probably it came out, the original. Yeah. Um, so I had to ask you guys to help me out on shit that I'd forgotten. Like afterwards, you guys were telling me what was cut and what wasn't, and I, cause I mm-hmm. couldn't remember. Uh, but but as I was watching it, and then like the songs that came up, I'm like, oh my god, I remember these songs. I remember this song. I remember that song. Um, because they were really great. You mentioned uh, Under the Sea. That sequence is unforgivable because in the yeah. original movie, it's hilarious because like the creatures under the sea transform into musical instruments. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it becomes this great use of animation and imagination. Whereas in this one, it's like, I hear some turtles, you know, stomping around, (laughs) you know what I mean? And here's a, here's a fish moving like what the fuck, you know, I, and like the blast of imaginative, imaginative animation that was used to bring those songs to life. Like kiss the kiss. The girl is a flat in this movie, completely flat. And that's a great song. And it's also a fantastic movie with uh, uh, Ashley Judd, Morgan Freeman. No, uh, so, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's as horrible as The Lion King, but it's really, really bad. But I like the lead. I have to say, I like the lead. But this guy, you mentioned this Jonah Howard King. Oh, what a, what a stiff this guy is! Holy shit! And then Rob Marshall. Uh, oh, we were yeah. talking about it afterwards. He made what did he make? One good movie, right? And and well, two Chicago and uh, well, you, I don't think you like Chicago, but you like Mary, the Mary Poppins sequel. Uh, well, I like actually like both of them. But oh, okay, I do. Okay. I, I like both of them. But the Chicago, yeah. you can just pretty much go. Yeah, thank thank you, Bob Fosse. Thank you Correct. very much. Uh, exactly. So, but anyway, yeah, he's a terrible filmmaker, and this is a terrible movie. And they and, and but we have more coming up. Uh, they're making more of these, right? The live action versions of these. Uh, yes. What the hell is um, left? I mean, aren't I they doing it? what is... Uh, didn't they announce... Oh, I thought they announced another one. They just announced one. something. I, they did. They did. They just announced... They did absolutely oh. just announce another one. And I can't remember what it was, but they're... I'll find it. And I, and I think... I Song of the South. No. 
<laughs> they're oh wow <laughs> oh my god would that be fantastic if they did that that would be unbelievable well, well snow right. they're doing a snow white snow white is coming out next year jesus christ uh, all right all right well let's just move yeah. on all right uh, disney <laughs> that will be problematic the huntsman doesn't count wait the, no, i guess it, not disney oh and the just... lion king sequel is coming out in next july that Barry oh, Mufasa, Jenkins is right doing. right that mufasa movie yeah or prequel yeah, yeah. that's Great. a prequel awesome. yeah awesome yeah all right, thank you, Disney. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, now here's a movie that Eric didn't see. Steve, you didn't see The Little Mermaid. Good luck with that, by the way, Steve. I uh, can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well, but you did see you did see another movie that opens uh, today that uh, you and mm-hmm. I saw, but Eric didn't see. Right. So, uh, Eric, you should be grateful that you didn't see this one, and Steve, you should be grateful that you didn't see The Little Mermaid. So, uh, uh, Steve, tell us about, uh, about my father. Yes, so uh, while the new film starring and co-written by stand-up comedian Sebastian Maniscalco is a decidedly average autobiographical comedy, as a story of an unbreakable bond between a father and grown son, it's not without its moments. Um, More of a a crowd-pleaser than anything you're going to laugh out loud about. By the way, just up top, I'm not recommending this film, um, but but I'm not... (laughs) Completely condemning it either. Anyway, uh, one of yeah, the top leave, leave sell- that to leave that to me, Steve. Go ahead. I know one of the top <laughs> selling. Oh, I. I oh, anyway, anyway. So one of the top selling comic voices in the nation, Maniscalco, plays a Chicago hotel manager named Sebastian Maniscalco. What the fuck? Um, who was invited by his fiance Ellie, played by Leslie Bibb, to her parents' summer home. Uh, for the 4th of July weekend. I think it's in Virginia. I think that's where they live. And um, Sebastian is hesitant to go because the trip would mean leaving his elderly father, Salvo, uh, played by Robert De Niro, uh, home alone shortly, not long after the death of his beloved wife and Sebastian's mother. Uh, So Ellie tells Sebastian to invite his immigrant hairdresser father uh, to the summer home for the weekend as well. And the thought of which almost makes Sebastian's brain explode, uh, thinking of his working class uh dad mingling with these super rich eccentric types including kim cattrall who plays the political mom uh david rosh who plays the uh, hotel entrepreneur father uh anders holm plays the spoiled douchey eldest son and brett dyer plays the sort of spiritualist hippie younger son um the there there aren't any really any villains in this story, even though Salvo thinks this family's sort of constantly judging him. Um, I think that's probably for the best. Sebastian's biggest enemy in this film is himself and his desire to kind of fit in and have Ellie's parents like him. And I think I think he knows like this idea that he thinks he has to behave around certain people who have money. Salvo is frequently uncomfortable around these people for whom money has no real value or meaning, uh, which is a personal flaw of his own that he sort of attempts to correct during the course of the film. But the film kind of starts out like this routine 80s culture clash comedy, but then it mellows into something, I think, a little bit more palpable in the back half. Um, People often kind of say De Niro is, is... strong doing comedy, but I think that's only true when the material is strong to begin with. He's very much capable of making it better, but not saving like crap, basically. Um, so for a big part of, of Salvo's personality, um, for as big as his personality can get, like in his salon, for example, he's a man used to feeling small around certain types of people. And he assumes Ellie's parents, like I said, are judging him constantly. Once he realizes this isn't the case, he kind of changes his tune and the film feels a bit more like reality. But again, this, none of this stuff is particularly funny. 
Um, it's as, as if the filmmakers were kind of worried sentimentality might take over and they throw in these jokes and it just completely ruins that whatever tone the, the movie might have had. Um, still, I think with Maniscalco, I think the affection that he and De Niro have for each other in these roles is, is genuine and it, it kind of carries the movie sometimes, especially when we see some of the routines and rituals they have built up over the decades. I only wish there had been more moments like that throughout the film. Uh, like I said, possibly more of a crowd pleaser than a critical success. But uh, I think that the film has its heart in the right place. I only wish we got to see more of it uh, between these really stale jokes. So there you go. Yeah, I hated it. Um, uh, and uh, this Sebastian Maniscalco is he is Italian Dane Cook, as far as I'm concerned. I don't understand. Uh, uh, I don't understand the appeal. Uh, and I call him Italian Dane Cook because. Uh, one note, uh, jokey guy, also not the most original uh, 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 comedian in the world, uh, you know, has a reputation for, you know, taking some jokes here. And inexplicably, he can play arenas very much like Dane Cook did, you know, 15 years ago. So uh, in, in about 10 years, he's going to be considered on the same level as Dane Cook, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, this is a this I think this is a terrible movie. Um, uh, I didn't buy any of the relationships. It's caricature village. None of the especially the in-law characters that uh, Kim Cattrall and David Rash and all the others play. They're really poorly written, and uh, it's one-dimensional. And it's, it's just it's awful. Uh, it's awful on every level. De Niro is coasting like he does in a lot of these comedies. And there are, you know, it's, it's so on the simplest of levels, it's just a stupid movie where you don't care about any of the characters. And it's nonstop, one-dimensional, really poorly written by Maniscalco. Uh, Scalco, um, uh, and and just as as cliched as you can get, and then on top of it, there are massively, unbelievably awful gags in this movie that go on forever. There is a joke about uh, Robert De Niro killing a peacock uh, <laughs> in order to feed the family. That's played for laughs, and then they're burying the peacock. Oh, isn't this funny? Remember that scene from Goodfellas or all any number of movies where De Niro is marry, you know burying a dead body. Let's echo that and think that that's comedy. Uh, the whole like, hey, let's spray cologne and walk into it thing. That's supposed to be a bonding moment between the two, the father and the son, and that doesn't work. There is a scene where inexplicably Kim Cattrall doesn't realize that all her hair has been cut off at one point. Like she doesn't know that the haircut that <laughs> Robert De Niro gave her was that. I don't know. So anyway, there's that. There is the, the every scene with the Brett Dyer character trying to be, you know, like the hippie and, you know, doing these soothing things. That doesn't work. The douchebag uh, older brother doesn't work. Um, and there is a, a, an endless gag where, you know, Sebastian's uh, shorts fall off when he's like uh, uh, floating up, you know, like on, on one of these things on, on the water and his balls are hanging out. And, every, and that's, that gag goes on. You get to see his ass for like 15 minutes. That gag goes on. It's awful, and Kim Cattrall is bad in it, and David Rash, who's the only person in the movie that I think is attempting to do anything beyond just be bad, um, and he's not funny. No, there's no laughs, and I giggled at one. I went heh, one time, and that was at the mention of Warren G. That was the only <laughs> time in the entire movie where I went heh, and that was it. It's a miserable experience, and I and I hated every frame of it. And it's interesting because this Sebastian uh, Maniscalco guy. He's in um, a movie, and, I, and as an Italian American uh, uh, from you know on my dad's side of the family, I come from a from a massive Italian uh, uh, family, um, and none of this rang true. None of it. 
uh, and, 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 and it's funny because Sebastian Maniscalco is in another movie about an Italian-American family that is genuine and as real as you can possibly get. And he's in somewhere in Queens, the Ray Romano movie, which is. Oh, I thought you were going to say Super Mario Brothers. Sorry. Well, he's yeah. also in that. It's also very Italian. It's also very, very, very accurate in his portrayal of Italians. Uh, but no, but like somewhere in Queens is like this beautiful and funny. Everything that mm-hmm. this movie, every single thing that this movie isn't and attempts to be somewhere in Queens is. And you'd think, oh, you know, maybe being on the set of that movie, he would have been like, oh, maybe I can bring some of that genuine stuff to my movie. He didn't. It's terrible. It sucks. So I hated it. Uh, so that's uh, about my father. Oh, God. Painful. All right, Eric. Yes. You get, to, you get to introduce the one movie I think we can all agree on, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. You Hurt My Feelings. Tell us about You Hurt My Feelings, Eric. <clears throat> yeah, so this is the latest from writer-director Nicole Hall Center. Uh, this film premiered at uh, Sundance this year, which is where I saw it. Um, it stars uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies as Beth and Don, a pair of uh, New York professionals. Uh, she's a writer, he's a therapist, uh, and they're seemingly very happily married. Um, and uh, she is working on a follow-up to uh, her first book, which was kind of semi-autobiographical, if I remember right. Um, he, <laughs> uh, Don uh, has some problems uh, at work. Um, he's beginning to sort of doubt his skills, uh, dealing with um, a one couple going through a bad marriage, played by uh, David Cross and Amber Tamblin, uh, almost stealing the movie, single Who- are, who, by the, the way, story. are married? Who are married in real yes, life? Yes, mm-hmm. right, uh, and hilarious in this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and also, and also uh, realizing when someone uh, accidentally says to his face that he's an idiot. Yeah. Uh, so he's going through a little bit of an existential crisis. Uh, Beth, meanwhile, uh, who has been working uh, long on this book and has been getting feedback uh, from her husband about it, uh, one day. Uh, walks into a store with her sister, played by Michaela Watkins, also very funny, uh, and sees him talking to a mutual friend of theirs and overhears that he's not as crazy about her latest work uh, as he has told her. Um, they also have uh, an adult son who works at a marijuana dispensary, and he's trying to uh, become a writer himself, and he's working on a play. Um, and uh, the, the story just sort of evolves about how all of these characters and all these people in their lives are basically telling little white lies to each other to keep their confidence level up. It's not a, a case of where they're, they're trying to be bad people to one another. They're just trying to keep their, uh, keep their spirits up, basically, uh, while not sharing their true opinions. Uh, and needless to say, when you find this stuff out in, you know, in your real life, if, if you ever do, uh, that can certainly lead to a major crisis of confidence. And while this story, just the, the premise of that, sounds like something right out of a half-hour sitcom that we've seen countless times on television... Uh, Nicole Hollif Center uh, is still crafted a film about adults. Uh, when I hosted a screening uh, last uh, last month of Bull Durham at Oak Grove, uh, one of the things I said to the audience was uh, just how refreshing it was to see adults acting like adults, saying adult things and doing adult things. And that's exactly what this movie feels like. Uh, you just did the whole thing about About My Father, which is about adults behaving yeah. like idiots. Yeah, yeah. And here you have, uh, again, a situation where it could just be all 
pe- people talking behind one's uh, everyone's backs and you know withholding the re- the truth with one another. But this movie is smarter than that. And these characters are smarter than that. And when they eventually you know have that sort of confrontation, which normally would be some sort of big blow up thing in a lot of screenplays, uh, becomes this actually really thoughtful conversation about just two people sitting on a couch working out uh, why this is hurtful. To one another and this is something that occurs with a number of the characters in the movie and it's just it was just so refreshing to see that uh and uh, i mean i think that scene on the couch is one of my favorite scenes of the year just for how perfectly simple it is and just having people say the things that are often repressed in in screenplays and writing and whatnot uh julie louis dreyfus who had teamed with hollow center on another terrific movie called enough said yeah. uh their partnership uh, is um, just in full display here it is wonderful nicole hollow center is a director that i don't think has ever missed uh you know her mm-hmm. films have ranged from good to great uh this is one of her best works i think uh and it is so smart so funny this movie is really really funny uh, it really runs about 90, 94 minutes, something like that. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a great length. Uh, this is a film that absolutely should, should be sought out wherever you can find it because you just don't get films this good that often. Yeah. All right. Steve, what about you? What'd you think? You can find it at the music box, by the way. Uh, anyway, there this you one. Go. Yeah, so, there you go. Anyway. Music box. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, this, this is a flat out. I don't think I've ever seen a movie about the dangers of unconditional encouragement and how constantly supporting someone can lead to like major trust issues because when when this lie is discovered and it's basically just a little white lie the whole the whole it's like pulling out a support wall in a house like it just the whole thing falls apart it, it, for a while and 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 like suddenly nobody trusts anyone. And and I and I will say one of my favorite scenes is the one where the son, who's played by Owen Teague, um, is um is mad at his parents for constantly encouraging him. Yeah, and yeah because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't know once he finds out that his you know his dad is you know a liar or whatever and he's like well i don't now i don't know what to believe and you've and, and julie lead right even in that scene she doesn't quite get what the problem is by being encouraging but the but 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 see like most of us would probably do the same thing because we're like well because we're smart enough to know that if you actually give critical analysis to something that a loved one makes that might be even worse like that could go down really bad so if you do have some criticism so we're kind of stuck as a culture so we just end up lying to make our lives easier and there's nothing wrong with that either sometimes so um so yeah it's this is like a a, i didn't realize how much of a conundrum this was in our world until i saw this movie i don't think but it absolutely is it rings so true that it you know like it kind of shook me up a little bit when i saw it at sundance and um yeah i mean it it, and and yeah we should mention that the, the 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 fourth or I should say, I guess the fifth party in this is Michaela Watkins' husband, who's played by Ariane uh, Moyad, who just recently got a Tony nomination for A Doll's House, and he's terrific in this and and very funny. I mean, everyone's funny in it. Um, but yeah, and those, and I also like that leading up to all of this is this sort of it's almost like kind of a secondary issue of the of the Tobias Menzies character going through his own crisis as a therapist where he doesn't, he doesn't really 
think he's doing well anymore and his patients are starting to notice it like they're calling him out on it i mean to an extreme case with that couple that eric mentioned they want their money back but because they don't (laughs) think he did a good job but uh, which I, i think is just classic but anyway i don't think therapists give money back guarantees so yeah that's but yeah just just a terrific funny film but also incredibly thought-provoking like there will be conversations some of them very uncomfortable after this movie and i wish i could hear some of them because because i i think it's gonna rattle a few people yeah yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it's one of the best movies of the year, and I love her work as well. I think she's not made a bad movie. Uh, mostly great movies. Um, this is the kind of movie that will um, evoke, in many people who are fans, uh, evoke Woody Allen. Um, it is you know, about successful New York denizens who have the kind of jobs that people in Woody Allen movies have. You know, uh, they're they're writers or they're therapists and stuff like that. And I'm not a big Woody Allen fan. And this is the kind of movie in my brain. This is how my thing is like. This is the kind of uh, movie that Woody Allen attempted to make and failed miserably 95 times. Um, but this is it. This is that it. This is that movie. The cast is uniformly great. I mean, Julia Louis Dreyfus is just fantastic, and everybody else in it is great. Michaela Watkins, who's always been one of my favorites. Um, you know, unjustly only spent one season on SNL. She was great on SNL and I've loved her since then. And she's great in it. Uh, I guess Owen Teague is just going to play, you know, like helpful, uh, teenage sons to, to main (laughs) characters, main characters that I love. I guess that's going to be his gig now. Um, and and I do want to mention, um, uh, uh, Jeannie Berlin, who plays Michaela Watkins and Julia Louis Dreyfus, they're sisters mm-hmm. in the movie. They play her mother, and the scenes with her are, are fucking <laughs> hilarious. They're hilarious, and they're great, and they're real. And the thing about it is, not only is the movie like laugh out loud funny, but there is an enormous amount of truth in every scene in this movie. Like, it doesn't matter that these people are probably you know more successful than a lot of other people who are going to watch this movie. That's one of the differences that they're you know like Woody Allen put a wall up between those kind of characters and maybe someone who doesn't have like $500,000 who lives on the Upper East Side. Uh, But here it's all inclusive. The stuff that happens in this movie is completely universal and you can feel it and it's really, really good. And there is, you know, like the stuff, the therapy sessions with David Cross and Amber Tamblyn, but also with uh, with Zach Cherry, who plays plays another one of... (laughs) <laughs> one of his patients who is just like, you know, completely in denial to the point where he lies straight to his face <laughs> about stuff that he actually heard and saw. Um, that is great. And, and uh, you know, everybody has their great moments. The relationship between Michaela Watkins and, and, um, and Arian Moyad is phenomenal. Uh, this is just smartly written, identifiable, great humanist comedy. Um, and it's, it's come out at a time when there have been a, a bunch of movies this year that have come out that are really sort of wonderful human movies. Like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And like, uh, showing up and, um, you know, and, uh, and somewhere in Queens, there's this really, these, these wonderful sort of humanist movies that are out there now that I'm really, for some reason, really loving this year. I don't know, I don't know why, but these are like my favorite things that are, that have been coming out this year. Um, and I love this movie. And there's a, there's a quick bit, um, that David Cross has where, like, as you mentioned, Steve, David Cross and Amber <laughs> Tamblin are like, look, you haven't helped us. We've been coming here and they, they want to bill him. For uh, because they want a refund. They were like, we want our money back. You've not done shit for us as a therapist. Uh, and he says this thing, and I, it's, it's, my, one of my, it's my favorite moment in the entire movie, and then they, she brings it back at the end, kind of full circle, where David Cross calls out 
uh, Tobias Menzies on the fact that he doesn't empty his trash can. <laughs> um, and it's this really wonderful moment that is a natural piece of dialogue and a natural observation that this guy as a patient has in this therapist's office. But it is also a piece of symbolism that sums up the entire movie. You know what I mean? Like that one observation that David Cross has about this trash can is what the whole movie is about. And then at the, you know, towards the end of the movie, there's a, there's a, there's a callback to that moment and the payoff is huge. And, and, and that's just indicative of just how smart and how, how, how great the writing is and how, and how really clever the direction is and how everybody in this movie soars. It is, I think it's one of the best movies of the year and it's playing at the music box. You can see it there. It's called You Hurt My Feelings. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the, is the main star and she's fantastic in it, as is everybody. This is just smart funny humanist stuff i loved every frame of it so and that's three of us who who uh mm-hmm. who, who oh, recommend yes. that one so absolutely all right uh the next time we talk in a couple of weeks what are we going to be talking about uh the flash transformers flash or no or well, how many three flash weeks is, or two flash weeks? Is... flash 16th okay so transformers will transformers. be the next oh god uh, no no past, no past... oh yeah transformers you're right, right yeah yeah uh past lives which uh, played oh, at yeah. festival? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good film. The opening yeah. here in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. So that's th- those are uh, those are all coming yeah. up. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, check out Stephen. Check out Eric uh, on their podcast and at their prospective places. And uh, we will talk to you guys uh, in a couple of weeks. And everybody, go see you hurt my feelings. That's the one that, uh, that at the right? music box. At the music box. So make sure you check it out. Okay. Cool. It, it Eric- is playing other places, but I will say yes. You should see it at the music box. You should definitely Absolutely. see it. Yes. It's, it <laughs> yes. is. It is playing. Yes. I don't want to discourage people from seeing it. Yeah. I actually want a lot of people to see this movie. So if you can't make it to the music box, look for it because it's going to be playing. It is playing in a lot of theaters. Just get your ass yeah. out and see it and see you hurt my feelings. A great, and as you mentioned, St- uh, Eric, a great adult movie. And I don't mean that. I don't yep. mean it's porny. I mean it's an no. adult. It's it's for right. adults. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Cool. All right, Eric, Steve. <laughs> thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay. All right. There all right. you go. That's uh, that's Steve, and uh, and that's Eric. And uh, now it's time to say hello to Esmeralda. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon is with us as she is on uh, every episode of the uh, of the Nick D podcast. Uh, this is episode one forty four, Esmeralda. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty wacky, right there. That's a uh, lot of episodes. It's a hell of a lot, man. I'm telling <laughs> you. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm pretty good. Uh, so uh, we are here and we're hanging out. And we're talking. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about uh, TV and movie characters that don't act like normal people. But this is kind of a that's expected. Right. Do you turn on the TV? You go to the movies and expect people to act like us. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. I mean, you don't really you don't really expect it because they are in movies and TV. And that's kind of what you want, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you want regular old people, you'll just watch reality TV. 
Right. And even that is stretching the boundaries of, uh, of reality. Right. Even then. <laughs> yeah, even then you're not getting the, you're not getting the real thing. Um, so anyway, uh, Oh, speaking of real. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. How you Hi, doing? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. Oh, she's showing a sign that says the Felicity characters were real. That's true. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's okay. Right. I'm Carrie Russell, and I okay, love Nick's show. Right. She's the only show. That's it. Every other show, even she didn't mention the Americans, or uh, she did not uh, mention the Diplomat or anything like that. So, but uh, but in wow. The, in, so anyway, oh. gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Now he's real. <laughs> oh, I mean, of course, our friend. You can't deny Michael Bolton. He uh, is our friend, Michael Bolton. <laughs> Uh, Which are you packed? Oh uh, yeah. No. When does it, when do we leave? Uh, when, um. We well. We have to. I mean, we could get there the day of. Okay. But um, we have to be the twenty seventh in Jamaica. Okay. So the twenty seventh, and we will be in Jamaica. And gentlemen. For... Yes. Michael Bolton. Uh, I'm writing it down. You know, I'm writing it down on my calendar right now as we as we speak. Okay. So so. All right. Still don't know the flight. We'll get Michael there. will let us know. He'll let us know. <laughs> he's going to contact us personally. Uh, yeah, he'll yeah. he'll have a driver or something come to our house. I don't know. You know, it's funny. Uh, I guess that episode that I was telling you about of uh, Aquafina's Nora from Queens, where, mm. uh, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, B.D. Wong's character is now working at Sam Ash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess that was just a one-off episode because they've now gone back to Sam Ash for another episode, and Michael Boltan is not not in the episode. I was kind of disappointed <sighs> to see him. Um, he quit? No, he just wasn't in the scene. I guess he just wasn't um, there. <laughs> he wasn't there that you know. Well, he did come in. B.D. Wong's character did come in on his day off, uh, so maybe that maybe it was also Michael Boltan's day off. I don't know, but uh, but anyway. Um, so God, that show is so funny. I love Aquafina uh, very much. I think just she's just the best. But anyway, um, so before we uh, get into, we've got a, a magic megaphone thing that we're going to get to. And by the way, if you want to jump in on the magic megaphone, all you got to do is uh, is you can either email me, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, call us and leave a voicemail message 24-7, anytime you want, 773-417-6948. Leave your message that you want me to speak into or to play into or to recite into the magic megaphone. And we do have one from our from our from our good friend Deanna. Mm. Uh, she is a, a good buddy. She's a very good friend. She's the one who always sends us like the really crazy candy. Yeah, um, yeah. She's a lovely woman. We met her at uh, Flashback. She came out to Flashback to see us when we did our. She did, yeah. And and she always gets me really crazy fun stuff for my birthday and for Christmas. I'm not sure why she likes me so much, but she sends me <laughs> really wonderful things. Um, and so she sent a request, and so we'll do that in a couple of seconds. But before we get to that, um, a couple of days ago, we lost a giant in the music industry. Um, yes. And yes. you know the word giant and the word legend and all that stuff? It gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, this, is, this person was a legend, or this person was a giant, or this person was incredible. Uh, but those uh, superlatives certainly apply to, uh, to Tina Turner. I mean, you know. What can you say? I mean, um, one of the greatest artists in the history of rock and roll, one of the greatest female artists ever. Um, yeah. 
and you know obviously her story is inspiring and incredible and amazing um you know everything that she had to go through not just with the time that she was with Ike uh and all the shit that she had to go through with him but you know from her childhood and where she was from and and her really beyond humble beginnings and what she did, the struggles that she had, and the whole thing with Ike, and then the big comeback in the 80s, and all the stuff that happened after that. And she's went through a lot of tragedies in her life and became one of the greatest musical uh, icons in history. Um, so do you remember kind of the first time that you, you, you were aware of Tina Turner? Was it in that 80s comeback, or was it... Oh, you were born um, in that, that... You were really... Yeah, were, it had to... It had to have been that 80s comeback... Um, I distinctly remember that video, uh, for what's love got to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where she's like defiantly walking down the street singing. Yes. With the jet, with the jean jacket and the, and the crazy ass hair. Yeah. Yeah. Such like a, just very simple video. Mm -hmm. Yet very, very powerful <laughs> in my mind like that's all i think of when i think tina turner yeah is that skirt and those legs and the hair so um i had seen the documentary um that they did on her um some months back and it was just i didn't know i didn't oh, know that man. the yeah. the from ike to to then doing her own thing just like yeah. all that hard work she had to do and all that like struggle yeah, it's just crazy. I didn't know that it was that much. It was and, um, and for people who, by the way, uh, for people who want to watch it, you can see it on the wonderful Max. It's no more longer yes. HBO. It's on Max, um, which, by the way, has been getting a lot of shit over the past few days because of some of the things that they've done and the changes that they mm -hmm. made. Are you? I know that you don't you don't uh, get Max, but I do. Oh, and, we do. We have HBO. Oh, you do. Max. Oh, okay. So you have H. Well, it's just Max yeah. now, man. It's just yeah, Max. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but they. But now what they've done, like, not only was it a stupid idea to even change it, or you know, or whatever they've done to it. I've, I've been scrolling around and looking at it. Um, but now, have you gone and looked at some of the descriptions of movies now? Because I haven't. In, no. Instead I mean, of yeah, I haven't really looked at it like that. Instead of giving credit with. Where, where credit is due, like, to the director separately, the screenwriter separately, and then the cast. They just write, I think it's just, they write, like, for instance, somebody looked up Raging Bull mm -hmm. on Max, and it says, contributors, Erwin Winkler, Robert Chartoff, Paul Schrader, Martin Scorsese. And Martin Scorsese's name is, like, fourth as contributor. Right. And then, like, cast, Frank Vincent, by the way, is, is uh, apparently the lead. Frank oh, wow. Vincent. Frank Vincent okay. is the guy is the guy that Joe Pesci beats the shit out of in the nightclub and slams the car door on him. That's Frank Vincent. So interesting. And De Niro's about fifth on that list. <laughs> it's, it, it's unbelievable. And and uh, Silence of the Lambs. They have like contributors: Ted Talley, you know, all these other people. And Jonathan Demme's like fourth. And then in the cast, the first cast member is Scott Glenn, not Jodie Foster. It's like Scott Glenn, somebody else, somebody else, Anthony Hopkins, and then Jodie Foster last. The way they <laughs> it's interesting. Everything huh. everything they've done at Max since the idea of dropping the name and changing it and reforming it has been a mistake. Um but anyway, to get back to it, but that that Tina is the name of the documentary you're talking about. Um and it is available. It's streaming on Max right now and if you've not seen it, it's great. I'm just letting everybody know that you got to see it. 
But um, but yeah, so you watched that documentary a while back. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was great <clears throat> to hear from her own words as well. And just, yeah, the struggle is was insane. I didn't know it was that much. I mean, yeah. I kind of thought, you know, she left Ike and then she kind of went on no. to do her own thing. But yeah, I mean, she yeah. did. But to get to where she was, to that level of fame again, was yeah. really difficult for her. Well, and not only that, but like when, you know, did you see the movie What's Love Got to Do With It with uh, Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne? I I have not. It's have really not. good. It's really, really good. And Angela Bassett's phenomenal in it. Um, by the way, the, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, celebrities and people in the music business and everything, they came out of the woodwork to pay tribute to her over the past couple of days. Um, and Angela Bassett's tribute is beautiful. It's lovely, as you would expect. I mean, she got to know... Tina Turner, you know, she got an Oscar nomination for playing her. They became very, very close. Um, and her tribute was beautiful, as, as is a lot of wonderful tributes in the entertainment world, the music world of people remembering her. But there is a, you know, like the movie is very, it's dif- difficult to watch. And man, Lawrence Fishburne is brutal as, as Ike. I mean, he's great, but yeah. they, they do not back, back down from the shit that he did. Um, but, you know, when she finally had it with him, she was getting abused like uh, uh, horribly by this guy for years and when she had finally had it they were they got into a a brawl in the back of a car where they were both like clawing each other and beating the shit out of each other and she got out of the car and this is in the movie too in the uh uh, what's love got to do with it she gets out of the car and she's got like she's bloodied and beaten and, and she scratched the shit out of him and beat the hell out of him as well she got out of the car bloodied and beaten and um, that she's like, that's it. I can't do this anymore. She had 36 cents in her pocket and a mobile gas card. Oh, wow. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And that was in the late 70s. And yeah. the album Private Dancer was until 1984. And, uh, and it took that while. You know, that's five years. And that's five long years. You know, um, where it was hard for her to, you know, to make it on her own. Ike had all the connections and stuff, and Ike, you know, mm-hmm. Ike was Ike. Mm-hmm. Ike was the Ike was the was he was the popular one, you know. Um, but man, uh, and then boy, I remember when Private Dancer came out. Oh my God, was that album? You can't imagine, Esmeralda. You can't imagine it. You couldn't turn on the radio. You couldn't turn on MTV. And like her videos in the eighties are iconic. So, um, but I, of course, you know, like, but, 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 uh, I, of course, you know, there's, I have a special spot in my heart cause she's in a Mad Max movie, you know? Um, True. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's in Thunderdome. She looks she, amazing in it. I love her character. Badass. Badass. By the way, those earrings weighed like 20 pounds each the, that she wears. <laughs> of and course that, they did. Yeah. And the big, the big head dressing that she wore and, uh, the, the dress she wore is like made of steel. You know, that's like, um, and nobody says Thunderdome better than Tina Thunderdome. Nobody says Thunderdome better than Tina Turner. Welcome to Thunderdome. Um, yeah. So, and then she would go on to do, you know, I mean, she duetted with like, obviously, uh, iconic moment at Live Aid in 1985 was her and Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger tearing her skirt mm-hmm. off. Uh, and then, um, and then like her, her duet with, uh, 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 with with uh, uh, Cy Kernan from The Fix, uh, two members from mm-hmm. The Fix. You better be good to me. 
she did that. She did a, a, a duet with Brian Adams. And then, and then when Private Dancer came out, it was just like, it was a statement. Um, and it just, it took off. And at that time, you know, to be in, you know, your 40s uh, and, you know, at the height of the popularity of MTV, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to bust through like she did was kind of unheard of. Because if you look back at the kind of videos that were popular back then, like when Private Dancer came out, because at that time it was like, the you know, when, when that album came out, TV was dom- MTV was dominated by people like Madonna and Prince. Yeah, um, yeah. Geared at a younger audience. And here comes Tina Turner and just blows everybody away. <laughs> yeah, that's what's amazing, too, how old she was. Yeah. Like like you said, you know, everybody was younger. Yeah. And here she comes, and she's still, oh, my God. Like, the last time I saw her, probably on TV or whatever, she was probably in her... I'm sure seventies already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like she looks amazing. Yeah. So yeah. No, she was she was a force, man. She was a true force. And again, uh an inspiration to millions. Uh just from her story, just her upbringing, um, all the trials and tribulations that she had to go through even before she met Ike. Met Ike when she was sixteen. And then that train went for a long time. And then like mm-hmm. the whole rebuilding and then private dancer on. And then the struggles that she went through after that, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's, it was crazy. It was crazy. And then, you know, and, and Ike was always like, well, she's never going to do any, she's never going to be anything without me. And then, you know, Ike obviously ended up, you know, you know, being bankrupt and he, he's the one who was on the skids after private dancer came out. Like he couldn't get a gig. He couldn't get anything. Um, but yeah, now she, she was amazing and she was a giant. She was sick for a long time. I mean, it wasn't a huge surprise that she passed, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because she was ill and she lived, uh, I think in Switzerland, she became a, a, yes. a Swiss, yeah, Swiss citizen of about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, and she was quietly living in Switzerland. Um, uh, she wasn't well, she was, she was, she'd been sick for a few years, but, uh, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a real surprise that she passed, but it, it's a, it's a huge loss to not only the music industry, the entertainment industry, and the world in general. Um, so oh, yeah, for sure. That she was huge. So I think we should all watch Beyond Thunderdome, just just uh, <laughs> in tribute. <laughs> just an excuse to watch another Mad Max movie, but she is... Uh, True, yes. But still, yeah. she's in it, and she's awesome. Yeah, and she says, Thunderdome, which is just the, is the best <laughs> the best way to say it. Nobody says Thunderdome like her. But anyway, so Tina Turner, we lost her a little bit earlier, and a giant in the, in, in the world. Um, but yeah, man, I'm telling you in the eighties when private dancer came out, um, you know, like these, you know, like I knew who, I knew who she was obviously because I, you know, I'm older. I was, you know, like when, when private dancer came out, uh, I was in my twenties, you know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the younger people who were like 15 or 13 or something like that didn't know who she was. And they're like, who is this crazy lady with the hair? And she was older, and you know she didn't look like Duran Duran. You know what I mean? Like that was the shit that was big then. <laughs> um, that was it's just great. It's a great story, and that album's amazing. Private Dancer is an unbelievable album. Um, it's got some great covers on it, and some great original ones, and it's just uh, it's a great real. Yeah, but love. What's love got to do with it is was the was the song that was the big comeback song for her. Mm-hmm. And that was when people again took notice of Tina Turner, and then after that, it was just a freight train through the '80s and the '90s. I mean, incredible. So, anyway, uh, rest in peace, Tina Turner. Man, 
Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I know that you do not have the uh, the the issues with cable that most people have because you 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 guys do not have cable in your place. No, we do not. You do the streaming thing through uh, your you get the smart TV with the streaming stuff on it. Is that how you watch your TV? Yep. So no cable at all. You don't have to worry about uh, any of that stuff. And you get your internet through. Where do you get your internet through? The same thing? It's Comcast. Oh, you get Comcast, but you just don't have the cable. Right. So Comcast, you get the uh, you get your your, your high your Wi-Fi your Hi-Fi. Hey, I'm seventy. <laughs> you got you got a Hi-Fi in there. Uh, so I get a notice from uh, the Xfinity people, the Comcast Xfinity folks, saying, "Hey, uh, you know you you haven't re- replaced your equipment in a long time. Your your cable box and and stuff like that, and it's outdated." And mm-hmm. at the end of the month, you will no longer have access to on-demand or your DVR or things like that. So you have to oh, get your, your equipment upgraded. So I was like, all right, well, all right, send somebody out. But they don't do that anymore. So they go, yeah, we'll mail you the stuff. You hook it up. <laughs> do you have to return to them the other thing? Yes, I'm doing that today. Um, so and you then where's, ret- all your, where's all your DVR stuff? It's well. Is it in thing. that box or Here, how does that storage okay. work? Okay, the stuff that I had on my DVR is gone. Uh, it's gone. Like the stuff that was saved, the stuff mm. that I purchased is still there. So, like movies that I purchased digitally, that's all mm-hmm. still there. But all the stuff that I had on my DVR and all of the stuff that I already programmed on my DVR gone so i had to reprogram everything Ooh. and that's a lot of stuff because you know I, i'm a geek and i'm a dork and i watch a lot of tv and so everything that i had on my d and i had some stuff saved on my dvr like i had um like four or five times that i've been on sven Gulli, i had that on my dvr just to save it i'm like oh look that's me yeah. on tv i'll save that that's gone now <laughs> that's all gone so uh but for some reason the purchased stuff that stayed. So I'm glad about that because, you know, these are movies that I actually bought digitally. Right, right. You know, and so that's not gone. But I didn't know what was going to – and I didn't know whether it was going to mess with my modem and my Wi-Fi and stuff. And that – I need that in order to do what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I didn't want to have, you know, the recordings of my podcasts be interrupted because I had to update – my equipment personally. You know what I mean? So they send me the stuff. They send it UPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sent the first day, they can't get into the building, so they leave a, a UPS sticker. And so I put a sticker, I signed the thing. I was like, just leave it in the hallway if you can. And then I picked it up. And I will say this. Um, I, uh, Esmeralda, you know what? I'm uh, If I ever need another job, and I do at this point, uh, getting to the point where I, I do, <laughs> I could be a cable installer now. You oh, need, there you, you go. Oh, yeah. No problems. No problems. You hear that, Comcast? Call right. him up. That's right. I could be a... I Hire could be this a, man. I could be a cable installer. Actually, it's really, really easy. It's like three... You know, it's it's much different than it was like back in the day when you'd have like a VCR and it would be hooked up to your, you know, subscription on TV or something it was just like that in those days it, it took like an hour and a half to hook that kind of shit up mm-hmm. now it's like two cables and you hit a button and then it refreshes digitally and all that oh well, there you go but now i gotta say 
because you know, Esmeralda, that I'm resistant to change. Mm-hmm. Like I hate it. Uh, it, it. If if I do something habitually and I like it, I want to keep doing it that way. And I don't know uh, if th- I know that's some sort. Of, is that a? Uh, someone told me that that is a personality trait of a cancer. Because I don't buy. I don't know any of that shit. Uh, the yeah. inst- zodiac stuff. But apparently that is, I guess, indicative of being a cancer is like you, you want to be safe and you want the same thing over and over again. Is that, have you ever heard that before? Um, I have no idea. I have no yeah. idea about cancers. So. Yeah. Well, what, now, what, what, what sign are you? You're I'm Aries. Aries, right. Okay. Uh, my, my mom is also an Aries. Um, and so what, was, what, what are your uh, personality traits that are supposed to be true um i think it's that you're just more um quick to be bored with stuff and like you switch things up a lot or something like that I don't oh know, okay but... okay well that's different than completely opposite of me because i don't like right. to switch stuff up so i was very upset and i'm like oh god this is oh i don't want to change this i don't want a new button the box is like one third the size of the other one because <laughs> i had my box was, <laughs> the box i had was old and and it was and but now and then I got it all hooked up and everything and then I'm trying to get used to the buttons and I'm getting angry and frustrated and and I have no patience for it, but I, but then once I got it all hooked up and it was all updated and I started to reprogram it, you know I've got now I've got the voice, um, uh, remote where I can talk mm-hmm. I can talk into the remote, mm-hmm. and it like does shit. I was like wow, this is all you know like there you go. this is all new to me. Like I can actually press the button and go um, record, uh, record uh, WWE Raw instead of like clicking around on menus and stuff, and then it takes me right to it. And, and so, like, I reloaded my DVR in like ten minutes. Is like, there? Just, does it have a name, or do you just have to go? Hey, you. <laughs> no, you can you find just hold whatever. The, no, you have to hold the button and just say what you want because there's a button on it, uh, like an uh, like an, uh, a microphone icon. Yeah. And you press it and hold it while you speak into the into the uh, you speak into the remote, and you you just say something like "Show me my DVR," and then boom, it all pops up with all of your your titles and all that stuff. And gotcha. this is you know, like everybody who's listening to this right now is like, "Yeah, dipshit, it's been like that for ten years." You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, yeah, people are like, "Oh, welcome to the twenty first century, moron." You know what I mean? But it's all new to me. Like I was like, "Whoa!" I was like talking into it to see what would happen. You know. <laughs> Like speaking into it, it was funny, but it was not hard to hook up. So let me just say, Esmeralda, oh, I'm your, good. I'm your cable guy. I'm gonna now walk oh, okay. around. I'm gonna walk. Well, around. I don't have cable, so you're okay. useless to me. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just show up and fix whatever you want. I walk in. I'm gonna have a tool belt. My pants are gonna hang down so my butt crack sticks out. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing. Because uh, that's the old, you know, the old uh, telephone, uh, te- the television repairman guy. He used to show up at the house back in the seventies. Because yeah. you know, back in back in the seventies, if your if your TV was fucked up, you would call a TV repairman. They'd come to your house. They'd take the back of the TV off and then mess with it and change a tube and then charge you, I don't know, eleven bucks or something. Mm. And then the stereotype was that the guy would come in, the repairman would come in, and his ass crack would hang out. <laughs> like right, he would have right, his right. pants hanging down. Like Dan Aykroyd did the refrigerator repairman in yeah. uh, on SNL. And he had he had a pencil in his butt crack because he carried a pencil, but his butt crack was hanging out. It's a good, you know, good little storage, right? But yeah, so hooking up the cable wasn't uh, was not difficult. Now I just got to take the uh, equipment back to uh, 
the Xfinity store. Mm-mm. Okay. So, but, you can't uh, just send that off. No. Well, I don't want to pay for it. True. Rather, you know, That's I mean, this is, it, the the box is like you know compared to the one that I have now, the new box. That that box is like the size of a Buick compared to the <laughs> compared to the thing I have now. So, but anyway, uh, but that was a little adventure, but it it was not difficult. And again, you know, like I'm talking into this remote and all these, and again, I know you out there who are listening to this right now are going, yeah, idiot. It's, you know, this is not new technology now, you know, <laughs> like me going, oh, you know, you can talk into a remote. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, of course we can. Fucking idiot. So, I mean, cause everybody can talk into their phone and get yeah. results. So I was explaining to my dad. Because they got the notice, too. We have the same cable company. Mm-hmm. And my parents live about a mile away from me. And they've got, like, an old box as well. But my parents don't use the DVR. They don't use on-demand or any of that stuff. So they're not going to change over. They're like, no, we'll just keep the equipment we have. Because they don't use any of the features that are going to go out of, out of date. And I was telling my dad about it. And, uh, and he, you know, he got all grumpy. Because, you know, I mean, he's, he's about? His, 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 about just technology. He's like, oh, God oh, okay. damn, you know. So, just in general. <laughs> yeah, just like, I don't care, you know. So, so like, he's like, why do I got to come out there and I got to do this? And I'm like, well, Dad, the, the equipment will be, you know, the, the service will be cool. It'll be better. And I said, you'll have a remote. You can talk into the remote and it can change the channel for you. He's like, I don't need that shit, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute, Dad. Um, literally, two minutes ago, you asked your phone, what is the Cubs score? And it gave you the Cub score. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's what the remote's going to do, Dad. It's the same thing. No, it's not. You know, and I'm like, no, you're saying it's not because you haven't used it yet. You know what I mean? Like, my dad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he'll go, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Into the phone. And he likes getting that instant thing into his phone. And I'm like, it's the same thing. And then I was like, it's interesting how much I, I'm like my dad. Because I was like, God damn it. I don't want this shit in my house. Now I have it. And I'm like talking into the remote every two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but yeah m- m- my dad you know he's got a smartphone he's not i mean it's great that he knows how he- my mom's got- still got the flip phone she has no idea yeah what yeah. any of that my-, my mom's like you handle all that crap you know like you handle it you know, like, my dad's got the computer and he goes online and so my dad knows all that shit e- enough to get by you know what i mean like he's good mm-hmm. he's good but, like, he loves talking into the phone, especially, like, what's the what inning are the Cubs in if he's not watching the game? And then the phone <laughs> tells him and shows him highlights, and he loves that. And then when I told him about the new remote, he got mad. And then I was like, Dad, you talk into your phone every 15 minutes. He's like, oh, yeah, all yeah. Right, good point. So. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so the talking remote's pretty cool, Esmeralda. It's pretty cool. So cool. You, you could just go... <laughs> Show me, you could, seriously, if you had some sort of, like, nostalgic uh, bent, you could just go, show me Emerald Lagasse. Mm-hmm. And then everything he's ever done pops up. You can just go, bam! And it'll yeah. pop, you know, and so. <laughs> it's it's amazing what 10-year-old technology does for me now. <laughs> so, anyway. So hooking up cable is not that thing. So if you're listening and you get a notice from Comcast or Xfinity saying your equipment needs to be updated, it's not, it's not, it took me literally the whole time, like five minutes, five, 10 minutes to put it all together. So if so Nick can do it, you can do it. Shit. Are you kidding? Anybody <laughs> can do it. So anyway. Okay. Uh, Magic Megaphone. We have one, Esmeralda. I know you love this because it's so yeah. improbably weird that people request this. 
But uh, so the magic microphone is from our friend, as I mentioned, Deanna. So I'll play this. And I, I don't know if I, I, I think I may have to explain this, Esmeralda. I'm not sure um, I will or not. Because when we started working together, whatever it was, eight, nine years ago, mm-hmm. you may have heard this, the story that inspired this magic megaphone. I'm not sure. But I'll play it and uh, I'll explain it to you after you hear it. So here it is. This is through the magic megaphone. Here we go. I'll play it. Here we go. This is Deanna's request. At your leisure, bro. At your leisure, bro. At your leisure, bro. At your leisure, bro. So. At your leisure, bro. All right. Okay. At your leisure, bro. <laughs> so, all right. All right. All right. So, okay. All right. Uh, so do you do you see? So did you hear that? Mm-hmm. At your leisure, bro. Do you yes. know the At Your Leisure Bro story? Yeah, I remember oh, okay. that story. Okay, yeah, you good. told it. Yeah. Then I won't have to explain it. Then it involves Daniel Baldwin in the back of a limo uh, with hookers and uh, and blow. Uh, and him saying, At Your Leisure Bro. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was, it, was a, a big, it was a big catchphrase that I said a lot for a long stretch at, uh, at the car wash. And I haven't said it in a long time. And Deanna's like, I miss you saying At Your Leisure Bro. So that's why she... There you know. go. At Your Leisure Bro. At your <laughs> now leisure, it's on repeat. Bro. At your yeah. Bro. Yeah. At your all right shut up all right so there it is <laughs> yeah he's an at your leisure bro now it's uh said by one of the baldwin brothers daniel baldwin um mm. so i'm not going to tell the whole story mm-hmm. but it involved a, a friend of a friend was a limo driver and daniel he had to drive daniel baldwin around on a very strange night that involved uh getting money out of his bank account to give to daniel baldwin um, and a hooker and some blow and some crack, in fact. So, oh, wow. Yeah. All that. And then him saying, <laughs> at your leisure, bro. He kept calling him bro all the time. And, he, and you, know, you, have to, you have to talk like that because he's a Baldwin. Mm-hmm. So he has to talk like this. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, at your leisure, bro. All right. So movie and TV characters uh, that do not do what real people do. Right. Now I was looking at this article and I'll go, I'll go with the first one. And then I, I you know, I want you to jump in on this and uh, whichever ones pop out to you. But this first one is actually, I think a great one. I love the picture that they have as an example, like the characters that they have. Uh, it says movie and TV characters are in the habit of quoting literature while average people like you or me can only paraphrase at best, no matter how many times we've read the book. <clears throat> But a lot of TV characters and movie characters can just right off the top of their head rattle off quotes from literature. And the picture that they have as an example is of Niles and Frazier from Frazier, which is the perfect. Yeah, the quintessential quote books and things, guys. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you ever quote, are there any quotes that you have committed to memory, Esmeralda? No. No? No? It's never, I've never had that idea in my head. To be like, oh, I love this. Yeah. I'm going to keep this and make it my personality. No. Yeah. No. How about song <laughs> lyrics? Are there song lyrics that you like that you, I mean, you know, Feed the Tree. We were talking about <clears throat> Feed I mean, the Tree. I have, I know a bunch of song lyrics, but I'm not quoting them at people. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's a little weird. But, but, but uh, again, <clears throat> it is it is kind of a cliche in movies where there are there is an unreasonable amount of people who 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 do who quote from uh, yeah they have great memories stuff. yeah yeah um, I just saw a movie uh, last night called The Blackening mm-hmm. which is a um, parody of slasher movies slash saw movies mm-hmm. 
uh, but told from the point of view of a group of African Americans. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the, the, the tagline of the movie is we can't all die first. Because in every <laughs> in every horror movie, the black people die first. Yeah, it, that's always that's always the case, and uh, so that's what the movie is kind of about. It explores it. It's a it is half parody, half straight horror. Uh, you know, inspired by Saw, especially Saw, and a lot of the other slasher movies, but taking all the African American cliches that you find in those movies and twisting them. Oh, okay. Uh, and they quote from a lot. They have to at one point they have to play this game, uh, and they have to quote from stuff. So they have to remember quotes from movies oh, and God. quotes from other stuff as a yeah. As I'd a be test. dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that reminded me of that because they had to come up with these quotes, but they knew them. They they uh, they knew them. The movie's not very good at all, in fact. But it reminded me a lot of uh, a movie that came out last year called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, which was the it was a very similar thing. Uh, a whole group of people in one isolated place and someone's getting picked off and there's murders and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was a satire of Gen Z cliches. And this is a satire of African-American cliches. Um, but it's not nearly as good as uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But anyway, they had to do some quoting in that. So you would not have, you would not have made that. You would have <laughs> no, been No, I'd be dead. You'd be, <laughs> I'd be straight dead. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of this. In it, yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah, Collins, right. Collins, much better at it than I am. He'll sometimes quote things, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. He's like, you don't remember that in this movie with the scene, and then the... I'm like, no. Yeah, that's you that's know, funny. I watch things, and they kind of just they flitter yeah. away. It's funny because like I know Colin, I know Colin is like that. Like he's totally loaded with with those kind of uh, m- you know memories and quotes and stuff that he has uh, you know cataloged in his mind. And I love the fact that, like, he'll say something and you'll just go, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I was like, I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you don't remember you that in that thing? Like, you know this no, one? I'll give you asthma. I'll give you asthma. <laughs> you know that one, though. Yeah. I'll yeah, give you asthma. That's Kenny. And usually he's like, have you seen that movie? I'm like, yeah, but I don't remember every damn right. word. <laughs> right. I mean, but it's it's weird. And I've said this, I've said this before. People around guy, guys around my age in our 50s. I've said this a million times, like from my generation, if a guy is in a room with other guys of that same age and you don't know them, throw out a line from Caddyshack because you'll get a response from the other guys in the room. That's just, yeah. that's just, just a sad fact. Like it's like a what? bird call. It it, <laughs> it is. It is. It's like white guys, my age, if you're a stranger, Six other guys in the room. Somebody throws out a quote from Caddyshack. You will get a response. There's yeah. just, that's uh, it, it is the universal uh, uh, what is bringer together of, among you know among uh, straight white guys in their fifties. Yeah. <laughs> if you throw out Animal House, throw out Stripes, any of those movies, you throw those lines out, and people will you're gonna be there. So, all right. Anything? Uh, what else in this article about how movie and TV characters act that isn't like the rest of us. Is there anything in there that popped out for you? So there's one they don't have on here, which I find in- funny they don't. But Oh, okay. When people go to bars and they ask for beer. Oh, I hate it. Can I have a beer? And that's it. They don't ask it. for names or anything. I mean, I get it. You're in a movie. You can't probably I, say names or anything. But it's just funny to be like, can I go to beer? It's like it's there so are funny. so many beers. It's so funny that you say that, Esmeralda. That's like really maybe number one pet peeve for me. 
And I think it's because you and I tended bar. You know what I mean? I think it's because. Yeah. And I've had people do that to me where they're like, can we get a beer? I'm like, what beer, man? There's like yeah. 20 million beers in this place. Yeah. I, it makes me fucking nuts. It seriously makes like, me nuts. Don't make it, me choose for you because I will give you something awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're going to get a hams if you keep this shit up. But, but I, I, it makes me nuts. And it takes me out of the moment, too. Um, the only time it's excusable is if the person is established as a regular. Right. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I would walk into Ricochet's and immediately, um, you know, it would be it would be a Schlitz and a shot of Jameson immediately. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, they, I wouldn't have to say anything. I would walk in and sit down and boom. That happens when you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Those things happen. But like, that's the only time it's acceptable. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yes. w- when Norm comes in to cheers, you know exactly what he's drinking. You know which beer it is. And he just goes, give me a beer. And it's Norm. Yeah. You know. But. Yeah, I that is a huge pet peeve of mine. You, I it always makes me yeah. I'll have a. I hate that. I hate it. And you know, here's how here's how far it goes, Esmeralda. Here's how far reaching that annoyance is. Mm-hmm. Fucking Stanley Kubrick is guilty of it. Now, <laughs> Stanley uh. Kubrick, who obviously considered one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, you know, a genius. A cinema artist, okay, who also is known as unbelievably technical and anal in getting things right. Yeah. In Eyes Wide Shut, which is, I think is a goddamn masterpiece, like many of his movies are, uh, Tom Cruise walks into the piano bar where dumbass Todd Field, who is now a pretentious director who directed Tar, uh, is playing piano. And he's like, I'll have a beer. And they serve him one. And I'm like, you can't. Who? How did Stanley Koo? What? Like the most. Like, anal- do you sell one beer? <laughs> one type yeah, of beer? Exactly. I'll have a beer. It makes me. That's that's number one. It's so funny that you mentioned that. And, and, I, and again, I'm looking at this and you're right. It's not here. That's a huge. That's a huge uh, uh, yeah. mistake. Not mentioning that. But Jesus. Yeah. I'll have a beer. They need to make a beer called just beer. Yeah, well, they have that. In, they have that in um, Repo Man. You remember Repo Man uh, with yeah. uh, Emilio Estevez? There is a whole um, subplot—not a subplot, but a running gag—in um, Repo Man that's all about generic products. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, at one point, it's like, let's, like, Harry Dean Sand goes, all right, kid, let's go get something to drink. And they go to, like, a convenience store, and they take a six-pack of cans, and they put it on the counter, and it just says drink on the can. <laughs> <laughs> Beverage. <laughs> it just says, yeah, it just says drink. Because at that time, this the movie came out in 1983, and at that time, like, I worked at the Jewels, and the generic, there was an entire generic aisle. Like, mm-hmm. you'd walk into the aisle, yeah. and it was, uh, everything looked exactly the same. You know what I'm talking about. They had to. Yeah. You know, the green banner, and it would just say what it was, paper towel, or, you know, or peaches, whatever, you know. And so they they took that as a running gag in Repo Man and ran with it. And at one point, he comes home, his parents are watching TV, uh, and uh, Emilio Estevez goes to the fridge, and he opens up the fridge, and there's just a can there, and he gets a big spoon, he starts eating out of the, out of the can, and the can just says, food. Mm. <laughs> Who doesn't love canned food? Just food. So they took the generic joke, because that movie's brilliant. Repo Man is brilliant. And they took the generic joke and just pushed it. They just said drink. 
So maybe in that world, you could get away with just saying, I'll have a beer. Right. <laughs> but other than that. No. You have yeah. to tell me what kind of beer you want, dude. I'll be here all day. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. How about this? Um, they show the door. I guess this is from Friends. It looks like mm-hmm. it's one of the apartments because I. Uh, it says, if we're to believe TV, most residents in New York City rarely lock their doors. Right. Well, yeah, because people just walk in. I mean, on Seinfeld, people just walked in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, it, did he? Um, would they unlock it when they would buzz? It was inconsistent. That's the thing about Seinfeld. It, it, for the for the, it, it was established that his door was usually unlocked because Kramer would always come in. Hey! And he'd fling, the, the door uh, would fling open. Yes. But yes. there, but there were sometimes when you would have to buzz people up, and sometimes they would just walk in. It just depended. Mm-hmm. But. The majority of the time that somebody visited Jerry from the outside, because like Kramer was already in the building, he lived there. Um, but like you know, when when uh, when Elaine and George visited, they would have to be buzzed up, and that for the most part, mm-hmm. he would kind of unlock the door and open it a, a little bit so that they could get in. But yeah, uh, yeah but again, okay. that's New York City, just leaving the door unlocked. But I guess in friend, <laughs> did in, in, in the friends, friendly though, city of New York City. Yeah, yeah, and according to friends, the friendly city of New York City with no black people. There were no yeah, yeah. There were no black nope, people. None. <laughs> none. There was one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ayesha Tyler was on the show, I think, yeah. at one point. Years uh, later, there was yeah. one. <laughs> so actually, you know what? That's one of the best parts of The Blackening, the movie I was talking about that I saw, mm-hmm. where they have to play this game. If they answer the questions wrong, one of them gets killed. And one of the questions was, name all of the black guest stars on Friends. <laughs> and they were and and they were like uh you know they're all like i don't watch that show you know because they're black <laughs> the characters are black and they're like i don't watch that show but i understand Aisha tyler was on it at one point and then you know they they each answer it they each answer uh one of the questions kind of revealing that they're they say they don't watch it but they clearly did you know what i mean like they were trying to <laughs> yeah they were trying to say no i'm black i don't watch that show but then they knew too much about it <laughs> that was and that was kind of the point of the question but uh, but they left their doors unlocked right they lived across the hall didn't they live right across the hall from each other in friends who i don't know some of the friends didn't they live across the hall from each oh, other the I mean, name, yeah yeah, like like Jennifer, An- I don't know Jennifer Aniston and uh, yeah, some Cox. of the yeah, some of the other characters, yeah. And then uh, Sh- I don't know Joey and uh, and uh, what's his ass, the smart ass guy, uh, Matt LeBlanc, or Matt? Yeah, that's Matt LeBlanc. The other Matt, the two right. Matts. They um, lived. In, uh, yeah, Chandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chandler and yeah, Joey. there you go. They lived across the hall from the other two. Yes, and they would just go back and forth. And, yeah, switch up, yeah, yeah. and they switched apartments and shit at one point. I don't know. But yeah, leaving your door open in New York City, that's, that's, uh, that's something you don't do in the real world. I would hope not. No. <laughs> no. I mean, I don't I live I don't in understand. Chicago. I live in Chicago. I don't understand I people that want to do that. They're like, we don't have to sh- close our door. I'm like, why? Just lock yeah. your door. Yeah. There's a lock there for a reason. Do you see anybody walking into your house? I don't, I don't need that kind of stress in my life. Yeah, even if it's someone I know. No, thank you. And you know what they do when they come in, Esmeralda? They walk in, and they go, uh, give me a beer. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, get the fuck out. I'll, I'll hook up your cable for you, but get out. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, uh, there's many, many more on this that we're going to get to. Any plans for your weekend, Esmeralda? Anything happening? Um, I might go see... 
um, the parents this weekend. Oh, in the Joliet? It is. Um, it's my my mom's birthday this week. Oh. It's her birthday on uh, the 25th. 25th. Okay. Well, happy birthday uh, to Esmeralda's mom. And uh, and uh, that's cool. That's 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 fun. It, Memorial Day weekend to have a birthday. You can celebrate right. for four days. You can celebrate for four yeah. days straight. So. It's a four day celebration. <laughs> hey, let him let him know that I'm going to swing by in August when I go see Craigie Ferg at the Rialto Oh sure, <laughs> sure. We'll make sure to lock the door. <laughs> there you go. That's how you bring it full circle. There it is. <laughs> All right, that's Esmeralda Leo. Thank you, uh, Esmeralda. And uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, thank you guys for reviewing all the new movies on Memorial Day weekend. Get out there. Be a sponsor. Be a part of the uh, Nick D podcast. Advertise with us. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Voicemail is open 24-7-773-417-6948. Email us, NickDPodcast at gmail.com with any correspondence, your magic microphone requests. And also, listen to us on the streaming service, man, 24-7. It's like a radio station. You can turn it on anytime. RadioMisfits.live. You can hear this podcast daily at 3 p.m., and you can hear my SNL podcast daily at 9 a.m. So tune into that. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and Ed and everybody, and my thanks to you for listening. And we'll see you uh, next time on uh, the Nick D Podcast. Thanks. The wind is right on me.